Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking His kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. All right, I'm going to read today's scripture for us, and we are going to be in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sari, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. And there are a lot of good Hebrew words in that. So Hebrew places that are familiar. Uh, And for all of you in your 70s, like, still got a couple years before uh, before Abram started his journey. So you're just so, so young. So young. So um, if you're new with us, my name is Ben, and we're glad that you are here. Uh, today. So uh, we are going to be in Genesis 12. So if you want to open up an app or a Bible, we're going to come back to the verses that Nicole just read for us. Um, But I was struck this week as as we're considering this theme of of exile, which is what we're doing for a few months. Um, I was just struck by the thought that so many of our favorite stories, movies, books, so many of our favorite stories uh, either start or reconcile some displaced people. Start with some, some displacement or, or folks living somewhere where they don't fully belong, struggling in a land not, not, that's not their own, only to find out that they actually belong somewhere else. Can you think of any stories that that's true of? It's not all of them, but that's, that's Harry Potter, right? What's, the, what's the, major, the, major, the major turning point in the first one? You're a wizard, Harry. Oh, and then all of a sudden life starts to make sense. Wizard of Oz, speaking of wizards, uh, Disney's made a killing off of stories of people who are not living into their full selves. Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan and on and on and on and on Star Wars. That's right. Yeah, there's something about you that is more, something about you that's, that's different. And finding out who you truly are is a huge journey. Wrinkle in time. Most spy stories are about someone who's not living out their fullest, truest identity. Obviously Narnia, because as Christians, we have to mention that sometimes. Um, Like we love stories like this. Um, Someone who discovers more truly who who they are. It's a little bit different, but my kids will tell you uh, that the movie that I cry the most at is Parent Trap. (laughs) Because little Lindsay Lohan and little Lindsay Lohan, like they're being raised outside of the, there's so much like, 
reconciliation of families coming together in that movie, and I just can't <laughs> stop crying. So there you go. Don't tell anyone, though. It's a secret that we keep in our family, so you don't know that. Um, there's just so much reunif- There's so much like separation, and then, I don't know, it's just gorgeous. <laughs> so these few months, starting off 2024, our church family is considering this theme of exile, uh, of folks who are, are living in a place that's not their own. And for so much of the Bible, God's people are displaced. For so much of the Bible, God's people are living in lands whose values and culture and politics and economics and very life is different than their own. And, and, and what we're claiming, what we're submitting is that we also are living in a story of displacement. Um, God calls his people, his church, us, in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Peter, God calls us elect exiles. And I wonder if this is part of why we love these stories of displacement. I wonder if there's something deep in us that resonates with a hero living somewhere that's not their own who, who's searching for the way home. Because it's a story that on some level we're all living in. And so we're asking, what does it look like to be hopeful? What does it look like to seek a better kingdom in a land that's not our home? How, how do we pursue holiness as we navigate confusing cultures and idols and temptations and peoples and things that tell us there's other ways to think and better ways to believe and even specific ways to vote and engage other aspects of culture. Those are the questions we're asking for these few months. We we started last week in the very first chapters of the Bible. If you weren't here, we saw that our true home is supposed to be this perfect, sinless dwelling with God Perfect relationships, we camped out on this, we're gonna camp out for a few months on the perfect relationships with not only God, but also ourselves and and with others around us and with the world around us. But we also saw last week the end of that perfect home and because of sin and disobedience, Adam and Eve and every single human sense has been banned from that home, been banned from that perfect, perfect relationship. So we have broken relationships with God and self and others in the world. That's, that's what exile looks like. But we ended last week, just to bring us up to where we are today, we ended by saying God had a purpose even as he sent Adam and Eve out of Eden. God had a purpose in sending his people into the dark and broken world. This, this is how God created his people. He made mankind in God's own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and and fill the earth and subdue it. What we said last week is that God made us in his image to image him forth into the world. God's purpose for his people didn't stop at Eden. We're still made in God's image. Our call is still to image God forth into the world. Now, now, is the image of God in us sort of broken by sin and brokenness? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, is it harder to image God forth into the world? Yeah, it is. Is the image that we push out into the world, is the image of God less perfect than before sin? Yeah. All of that's true. And yet we're still God's people, and yet God's purpose for us is still the same. And if that's hard for you to believe, I want to fast forward a couple chapters in Genesis and look at God's charge to Noah and his family. He's the guy with the ark. 
after the flood and as God restarted his lineage, this, these are the words that God said to Noah and his family. He said, for in the image of God has God made mankind. Does that sound familiar, church? As for you, Noah and your family, be fruitful and increase in number and multiply on the earth and increase in it. What's he saying to Noah? The same thing. Who are God's people and what are God's people to do? Not just in Eden, but even after sin and brokenness. Same charge. Image forth God's image. This makes sense? And, and this is the point today, and this is the point for the rest of these weeks that we're going to talk about this. You and I are in a form of exile. You and I do not live in the land that God created his people to live in, and yet you and I have a purpose as we wander this land that doesn't feel right, and as we wander this land that doesn't feel like our own. In the coming weeks, we'll ask questions like, how do we worship in a world that asks us to worship a lot of other things? Because worship's a part of being made in God's image and, and imaging God into the world. And it's harder in exile than Eden, but we're still worshipers. How do we pray? How do we trust God? How do we bless people? And on and on and on. Good? But for today, we're going to ask if we're made in God's image, and if our purpose is to image God into the world, and if it's true that we're called to do that in exile, what does it look like to be a blessing to the world around us? That's our question for today. What does it look like to bless others in exile? How do we reflect God, image him forth? How do we, how do we display a better kingdom and declare a better kingdom in this world of exile by maybe serving in a world that would rather take? How do we image forth God by blessing people in a world that would much rather offer curses? And questions like this. And so to give us this vision for being a blessing in exile, Genesis 12 is where we find Abram and Sarai. We know them better perhaps as Abraham and Sarah. God changes their names in a few chapters. Um, but, if, but again, if you're not in Genesis 12, open or pull it up. And, and as you do, I want to just note that there's no way that we could look at every single example of exile in the Bible. Like as, as we dove into this theme of exile, I, I was just amazed. My mind was blown at how many exiles there are, how many of God's stories revolve around people who are in a land that's not theirs. And so just a little catch up in, in, in between Adam and Eve and Abram, Here's some of what we see. Adam and Eve, like we've said, were exiled from Eden in Genesis 3. But then God's uh, son, Adam and Eve's son, Cain, perpetuated his parents' sin and brokenness. And then God disciplined Cain by saying, the Lord said, notice the theme here, God, God banished Adam and Eve. The Lord said to Cain, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. As best we know, Noah, who we just referenced, lived in Mesopotamia, it's modern day Iraq. And the flood, so as best as we could tell, took him to Mount Ararat, that's where the, the, the ark landed, it's in modern day Turkey. And so this Genesis 9 charge, you're still made in my image to multiply and fill the earth, that was, that was given to Noah in a home that wasn't his. Then in Genesis 10, Noah's sons start to fulfill 
that charge, and they start to fill the earth. And again, as best historians can tell, you see Noah's three sons, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. Ham's not a word we use for our kids very often today anymore. None of these are really, but especially Ham. Um, but Ham seems to have settled in North Africa, and Shem in the Arabian Peninsula, and Japheth, Japheth into uh, some of Central Asia. And they start to go out. And then, if you know the story of the Bible, in Genesis 11... They come back together and they say, we're going to build a tower and we're going to make a name for ourselves. And this tower is called Babel, which is another word for Babylon. We're going to build a tower and make a name for ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but making a name for ourselves, does that sound like imaging God forth into the world? No. No, it's in, in, in making a name for ourselves, there's more pride in us. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> just because you're trying to be all sneaky. <laughs> Making a name for ourselves is about pride and self and imaging us in the world. Look how good we are. Look at, look at the success that we can create by making a name, making a tower, making a monument to ourselves. And so what does God do? Under the map again, God scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. They stopped building the tower. All of these are forms of exile. And, and, and I need us to see in each instance, God is the one who commands and directs his people outward. And also in each instance, he does so as a response to his people's sin and disobedience and brokenness and self-focus. Adam and Eve decided they could, they could create a better way than God. And that got him cut off from God. Cain decided to break one of the fundamental laws, which says God values life. Noah's family made a name for themselves. And on and on and on the story of exile goes. There'd be no exile from Eden if Adam and Eve had just trusted and obeyed. Cain wouldn't have been punished if he hadn't killed his brother. There wouldn't have been flood except for the wickedness of God's people. There would have been no Babel except for the desire of God's people to make a name for themselves. You see the tension here? Throughout Genesis, throughout this little montage from Adam and Eve to Abraham, and Sarah, exile exists because of human sin and disobedience and brokenness and self-focus. But that's the reality of the world that God still sends us into. That's true for all of these characters or examples in Genesis, and that's true for us today. I don't think I have to convince you. Is there a focus on self in the world around us today? It's real subtle. You might not have picked up on it but you do you, my way or the highway. Somehow those two things are both said and yet they utterly contradict each other. Your highest, your best, your achievement, your accomplishment, your mindset, your philosophy, your worldview, your, or better said, my, 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 my. Such an overt focus on self. Relational brokenness. Is that in the world today? Rejection of God, rejection of objective truth in the world today? 
And so I want us to pause for just a minute and, and bring this to today, because one of the dangers sometimes of going to the scriptures, as much as we say, no, 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 it's for today, it's, it, we have our time making connections sometimes. So I'm, I'm curious, we chat for a minute, like what are some forms of that that you see around us today? Or feel inside of us, if you want to get real personal today, the self-focus, the quote-unquote death, whether it's literal death or relational or otherwise. Where do you see demands of allegiance that are trying to take God's place on his right throne? Where do you see a rejection of God's will and God's way? Where do you see kind of these other forms of brokenness? Anything come to mind? Yeah, leaving of covenant relationships just to go pursue something that you want more. Yeah. That's real. Where else? Sort of this uh, popular idea of like cutting off relationships that deplete me, mm -hmm. disturb my peace. Yeah. Instead of like stepping in sacrificially. Yeah, if you don't always give me life or affirm me, you're dead to me. Yeah. yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, celebrating outward appearance over, over state of the heart, yeah. And even if you do wildly successful on the outside, but you're dead and dying and crush people to get there on the inside, there's even some celebration of the domino effect of that. It's good. It's not good. You're correct. What else? I think picking and choosing parts of the Bible, mm -hmm. parts of belief of Christianity that rejection of God's little ways in just little ways. Yeah. Yeah, choosing which, which parts of God's truth are applicable. Yeah, or, or your truth, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard this week from a friend who was uh, talking with one of the most noted atheists in Britain, and his question to the church, in a really healthy dialogue, is, well, which Jesus does the church worship? And, and what he's essentially saying, there's so many forms of quote-unquote Jesus out there, you pick your Jesus, I pick my Jesus, this Jesus fits my worldview, this kind of stuff. Man, like that's, we've made God in our own image, if that's the case. One more, a couple more. Um, allegiance to a nation or a people mm -hmm. over, you know, yeah. humanity. Allegiance to a nation or a people, mm -hmm. yeah, over heart for all people. And we could go on and on. And again, these are the things we see around us. If we're honest, most of us have some form of relational death with someone else that we wish we were closer to within us. Um, or, or we have the temptation for our own allegiances towards something other than God. And, and there's the internal side of this as well um, that I'm not going to make you go into. But, but the, the point is that this this is not just the wickedness that existed in Noah's day. This is not just the, the Canaanites who we're going to see Abram and Sarai sent to. This is the reality of the world around us. This is the human condition, always and even in 2024. This is the world that God has sent us into, remembering when we can that we're God's people and that we have a better home, and we represent a better kingdom. We're created in God's image to image God into even that kind of world. And y'all, that is the kind of world that God sent Abram and Sarah into in Genesis 12. What, 
What is Abram sent to do? Did you pick it up when Nicole read the text? What is Abram and Sarah sent to do? What are they sent to do in the broken world, in the land that's not their own? God said, I will bless you. What are they sent to do? To be a blessing, to multiply. What are we sent to do in a land that's not our own? It's the same thing. We're sent and blessed by God to be a blessing. This is how God says it in Genesis 12, 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, again, how did we define exile last week? If you weren't here, an exile is someone who's sent from and kept from their true home. There's a higher authority that sends them. They can't return without their permission. And so like Adam and Eve... Like Cain, like the other exiles we just saw in this little montage, who's responsible for Abram's exile? God. There's three things you need to know about God sending Abram and Sarai into exile. The first is this. God sent them with both an assignment and a promise. And if you have your scriptures, I'm going to read the next couple of verses of Genesis 12. God said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be, what's it say? A blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in, uh, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, God didn't send this older couple, sorry, middle-aged couple. Um, God didn't send this <laughs> super young and spry couple um, from their home with some just arbitrary desire. No, God sent them with a promise. I will bless you. I will create in you a nation. I will give you what you need. And God sent them with a purpose. I'm blessing you so that you can bless others. Second thing you need to see. Abraham and Sarah obeyed. Someone comes to you and says, I'm sending you out, leaving your country, leaving your father's house, leaving your home, leaving everything you know. Is your first impulse? Sounds great. Again, unless there's some brokenness in the household you're leaving, like, no, that's, can you imagine how hard that was? And especially, and we're more, much more of a mobile culture today, much more of a transient culture. This is like you stayed on the farm until God shows up. And they obeyed. Verse four, Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. That's going to be important. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they sent out to the land of Canaan. There's trust and sacrifice. Again, they took Lot. We'll come back to that. But then the third thing is that God led Abram and Sarai not into a safe place, but into enemy territory. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to a place called Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So again, there's promise there but it's not like they walked in and everybody cleared out for him. Welcome, you can have my land. That's not what happened. So Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, now here's what you need to know. Just following the timeline of this, Abraham's dad, he was probably part of the whole Babel thing. Just following the timeline, dad or grandfather at least, were, were part of the coming together of Noah's lineage. 
And so, if that's true, because Genesis 11 comes before Genesis 12, that's how I'm doing that math there. This exile is part of God's dispersing his people from the Tower of Babel, from the city of Babylon. Abram and Sarai and Lot, they end among the Canaanites. There's probably other stories of people going in other directions. Anyone know anything about the Canaanites? One author summarized them as a wicked, idolatrous people who descended from Noah's grandson, Canaan. To, to zoom in on that a little bit more, false gods were the subject of Canaanite worship. There are many taboo sexual practices. Uh, if you read this week, and I hope you did, you saw some of those in Genesis 14. We're not going to dive in deeply into those because there's people of all ages in the room. Um, the child sacrifice was part of their worship. There, there massive injustice and abuse of vulnerable peoples done by the Canaanites. They, they were not good people. It, it doesn't even feel strong enough necessarily to say that the Canaanites were a people whose values and culture was different than God's. It feels like that... We got, we got to go beyond that and say they were just evil. They opposed the ways of God. They, Abram entered into a world of death. But that's their new home. To be God's people in a foreign land. And what's God's goal for his people in exile? Is it just to dwell there? Is it to avoid the world around them? No. In verse two, God says, I will bless you. In verse three, people said, uh, God said, people will be blessed through you. So again, this is often summarized down at the bottom. Abram and Sarai were blessed to be a blessing. Even among the evil, non-godly world that they were sent in. Blessed to be a blessing even in exile. And, and I want us to think about this. Would that be hard for Abram and Sarai? Yeah. You, th- you think God's goal is different for, t- for us today, though? As, as, as his people today who live in a land that's not a land of the Canaanites, but, but we live in a world whose values and culture and idols and other things are certainly not God's, right? So would God have a similar call on us today? A, a church leader friend used to talk about different postures that God's people can take toward the place we live, or in other words, the, the place that we're sent to. And I want you to do a little introspective on this. Um, he's Baptist, so they all start with the same letter because that's cute. Um, so, but question f- for us is like, what, what, uh, what's your kind of default posture toward the people and places that God has sent you to? And here's how he summarizes it. Some of us can, can operate as if we're above the people that God has sent us to? Like, like we take this, this posture of superiority and arrogance. We know everything way better than they do. How could they possibly be worth our time? Do you operate above the people and places God sent you to? Uh, or maybe swing the pendulum the other way, away from them. This is a posture of, of avoidance. To be, to be not just countercultural but to jet yourself, ejection seat, kind of out of the culture and and live in isolation and separate from the people and places God has sent you. Uh, Further than that, some of us can operate against our culture. Not just our culture, but the people within that culture. We can reject not just the sin, quote unquote, 
but, but also the quote-unquote sinner. We can oppose the people. We can reject the people. We can pretend, in other words, like they're not made in God's image, but, but we are. And so ours is to come against them and everything they're about. Or again, to swing way back in the other direction, do we look alike, the culture around us? Have we so adapted to the people that our values look exactly the same as theirs? Our truths look exactly the same as theirs. Our, our, our idols and the things we worship and the things we pursue. And does there, does, does there appear to be any difference between our life and theirs or are we so like the culture? Or, and you always save the right one for last when you do a list like this, right? So spoiler alert, do we truly exist among the people that God has sent us to? Jeremiah 29 would say that God sent his literal exiles into to Syria and Babylon to seek the welfare of the city that God has sent them to. Do we exist as God's people to be for the people that God has sent us to? To be, if I can say it another word, a blessing to the people that God has sent us to? Not out loud, but kind of what's, what's your default posture? Or maybe there's, there's different people that you take different posture toward. And, and I want to be clear, I don't want to overstate this. Like, are there actions that God's people should avoid? Like, are there things we should stay away from? Yes, sure. Are there things that people say that, we, that should be corrected? Like, if we love people, take this, take, like, put, put this in the, the, the image of a parent to a child. Are there things that deserve to be corrected for their betterment? Yeah, absolutely. That's... At times, yes, but the, the question, the heart behind what I'm asking is A, which A do you take toward the people around you? What's your general stance? What's your, your default posture? Because if we, church, like Abram and Sarai, are sent by God into a land that does not echo God's will and ways, and if as we go, we're blessed by God to be a blessing, then, then his call is to, to send us to be for the people, to seek the welfare of the people he sends us to. And, and so to be, be tangible is thinking this, like, what, what would it look like to be a blessing? And there's a lot of ways. So this is not a checklist, but just to, to get the juices flowing, to be a blessing might start with loving people. And, and the smallest act of service or desire for their best. And if you don't have the desire for their best, then maybe it starts with praying that God would give you a desire for their best. Maybe being a blessing starts with inviting someone in, even if they're different, in a world that says, I will reject and hate you unless you're exactly like me. Is that fair? Maybe being a blessing accepts and admits that, that there's people around us who, who follow other gods or no gods or other philosophies or worldviews, and thus they live and speak accordingly. They don't speak like they follow the Christian God because they don't. Maybe, maybe it's just accepting that that is a truth around us, even as we display and declare a better God in everyday ways by loving and serving them. Maybe in a world that is selfish and takes and takes and takes and fights and backbites and says, go make a name for yourself, 
win at all costs. Maybe, maybe a blessing is just modeling humility. Giving and giving and giving. Listening instead of talking as much. Christians are not known for listening well, especially to non-believers, unless it's finding like the angle to refute them and tell them why they're wrong. What if we listen because everybody's desperate to be heard right now? Even if what you're listening to you don't fully agree with, what would it look like to listen? Listen for the heart under whatever anger or sadness exists. What would it look to sacrifice yourself in a small way for the benefit of someone else? Does that sound utterly countercultural to everything we see and hear around us? I want you to sacrifice for me. This is the default posture. What would it look like to inconvenience ourselves for, for the benefit of someone else? That's fair. Uh, in a world of, of injustice and brokenness, would blessing look like stepping into someone else's battle and fighting it for them and alongside them just because you love them? and seeking some form of redemption and reconciliation, even if you don't fully understand what's going on. Again, just, just musing with you, just some ideas, but, but things like this, and there's thousands of others, these, these are things that echo how God has first blessed you as he stepped into your world and as he entered into your brokenness and he showed you grace instead of making you earn your way to him These are the kind of things that God sends us to do as we're created in his image to image him forth. And on and on and on we could go. That makes sense? Bottom line, we are each among God's people. We're part of God's people and we're yearning for a home and yet we can't return to this true home. But there's, there's hundreds and thousands of ways. This is the point. There's hundreds and thousands of ways that we can bring a glimpse of that home we long for, that better kingdom we can reflect the blessing that we've received as we've been greatly blessed from God. There's, there's hundreds and thousands of ways that we can reflect those things and bring God's kingdom to come, even as we bless others as a worshipful response, even and if, even and especially if the blessing means we're blessing a quote-unquote foreigner in a foreign land. So this is a, a big question for you. We sent a question out in last week's email. We'll send this one out this week's email. The question is, how can you tangibly, like not esoterically, theoretically, like how could you tangibly this week be a blessing to people, especially people who are different from you in a world that often feels like a curse? How can you bring light and life to a world of darkness and death? Of course, relying on the power of spirit, and of course, not for our glory, because we're not here to make a name for ourselves, but for the, for the glory of Jesus. And I want to note one thing before we close. Uh, I said a minute ago, it's, it's important to, to remember that Abraham, Abraham and Sarah brought Lot with them. Genesis 12, they brought Lot. Genesis 13, Abraham lets Lot choose the part of the land he wants to settle in. Now, in an honor-shame culture, um, Lot was younger. He, supposed to, he was supposed to give Abraham the choicest of the land. If you read Genesis 13 this week, what did Lot choose? He chose the best land. So, so we're seeing even in that, like a, a, a trend toward the selfishness and the ways of the world in Lot. He also happened to choose land that was near the city called Sodom. 
uh, kids. You just need to know Sodom has a real bad reputation. <laughs> Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Lot leans that direction. By Genesis 14, Lot is fully immersed into the ways of Sodom, fully surrounded by this evil culture. So, so from our list, he would have acclimated, he would be like the culture around him. So, so Lot then, in the midst of, of this uh, debauchery and this kind of stuff in Sodom, also finds himself in the midst of this war between literal kings of the region who are each seeking to increase the power of their kingdom. And so one author summarizes Genesis 14 as saying it's a chapter of perversion and power. Chapter of perversion and power. And Lot is caught in between all of that. Now, Abram and Sari, because of where they settled, they're a little bit removed from the conflict but when Lot is captured by one of these kings, Abram goes to Lot's rescue. And that's important. Now we could zoom out. There's way more to say about Lot's story. There's way more to say about Abram's and Sarai's too. For example, God keeps that promise of land and seed and offspring. We could say that we can trust God to bring about his promise even in exile. So there's more to their stories, but, but I just want to zoom in on that fact to close because Lot is a lot like you and me in the story. Lot is a lot, that was unintentional. Lot is very much like you and me in the story. Like it's so easy to be wrapped up in the ways of the world around us, isn't it? Like we live among this culture, the tide is pulling us to look like it and talk like it and act like it. We're tempted to value other things and other people and other philosophies and other desires over God. Like that's how the tide is pulling us just like Lot. It's so tempting to live as if, as if this culture is our home. It's so tempting to forget our true identity and the fact there is a greater God and an eternal, truer home. And, and so like Lot, do we ever choose the selfish things? Yeah, all the time. This is the world we're exiled into and this is the way that we ride that tide. And just like Lot, we need a rescuer. And so a final way that Abram was a blessing to Lot and an example to us is that as his nephew's rescuer, Uncle Abram foreshadows another closer member of your spiritual family and mine that we'll see in a couple thousand years and his name is Jesus. More than Abram and Sarai and the stories we love Jesus was sent from his true home. He existed eternally at God the Father's right hand and he, he was exiled to earth to save us and bring us back from temptation and sin in a way that is true and better than what Abram did for Lot. Jesus was a true priest who intervened on our behalf and helped pull us out of the perversions and power struggles around us and also the ones in our hearts. You agree with that? So like Jesus, Abram was ready to contend for truth. He was ready to fight when the time was right. Let's be like that. But Abram and Sarah's greatest lesson for us in exile is that they're blessed to be a blessing because Abram knew his true home and his true identity and his true hope. This is how Hebrews 11 summarizes Abram's story. Or maybe it's not, but I'm going to read it anyway. So Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed God and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, 
He made him his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For Abram was looking forward to a city with a foundation whose architect and builder is God. Here we go. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered God faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man and woman, and I love this, and they as good as dead, because <laughs> again, they old, <laughs> came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Are those hopeful words for us in exile? I want to pray, God, would you make us like Abram and Sarai as we too look beyond the cities and cultures and ways of this world for a more firm foundation. And God, would you help us trust your promises even when they seem unlikely and even as things and people around us look more appealing. Father, would you remind us of Jesus who meets us when we fall into temptation redeems us in a greater way than Abram did Lot. And would you bless us even in exile that we may bring your blessing to others. Amen.